Great to see you today. My name is Nate Gagne. I'm the lead, past, lead pastor at Restoration Church, and we are in the third week of our series called Restoration, looking at, um, a, a little bit looking at why our church is named what it is, but more importantly, looking at who God is. God is the God of restoration, and that's why we've called ourselves Restoration Church. God is someone who restores back to us the things that have been lost, the things that have been stolen from us, and, and, and is God's delight and is God's joy to do that for us. I want to tell you a little bit of my own personal restoration story as, um, as I've seen God do things in my own life. In October of 2002, I was, um, well, in the, in the very January of 2002, uh, I was 20 years old, and I had the opportunity. I had um, been offered a job at a large church in Fort Worth, Texas. I was assistant youth pastor, and uh, really unqualified for the position, but, but I knew the youth pastor, and he wanted to hire me. So um, it was amazing. It was a full-time position. It was benefits. I mean, I went from being in Bible college to being at this job, and then I began to do um, uh, part-time school to continue my degree. But it was unbelievable. It was a church larger than, ever, than I'd ever been in before. And here I was on staff. I was one person of like 20 staff members. And, um, and, it, was, and it was a lot of fun. We were seeing God do amazing things in that youth ministry. Well, in October of that year, just eight months after I moved down there, the youth pastor and I were both fired. I mean, just it was really sudden. And uh, we were shocked. We couldn't believe it. Um, we were really mistreated in how we were left because neither of us had done anything sinful. We, one of the things that we were doing in that youth ministry is we we're making funny videos every single week. Um, we've, and, uh, and, and so on one of these weeks, we scared one of our coworkers, and, and we just crossed the line. We scared her, and, um, and, so, and so we both got fired for it. And it was shocking, and it was sudden, and... Um, so I went, you know, here I was in a town, I, we, we were just cut off from the church. It was, you know, the pastor just told us, don't talk to anybody, don't say goodbye to anybody, this is it, you're done. So we were honoring him, but it was absolutely bizarre. Here I was in Texas, I didn't have any family, you know, I had that, I had that one guy, and he was really going through a crisis of faith, and he was telling me in the days to come, I don't know if I'll ever be in ministry again. And, and that was shocking for me, and I'm how can you say that? Like, I look up to you. I admire you. So I was really, really wrestling with it. And there were some days in my apartment in Texas where I wouldn't even use my voice because I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to be connecting with anybody in the church. And at that point, they were the only friends that I had in that area. And, um, and so about a month and a half later, I, you know, I finally had the opportunity to move back to New Hampshire and I remember I came back, and this has been my home church. This is the church I grew up in. So when I moved back to New Hampshire, I came back to our services. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that first Sunday back in the service. It was December 1st, 2002. And I came in, and, and really I was just, I was embarrassed to the core of my being because, um, but, you know, for a few different reasons, but it's embarrassing to be fired from a church. It, it, just, it just is. And so I came in, the back of the service. I remember where I was sitting, and 
And at the time, I didn't know what I was feeling, but right now I can remember exactly how I was feeling. As I stood up, I had my, you know, my hands in, crossed in front of me, and they sang the music like we did this morning, singing songs to God, and, and I didn't sing the entire time. And then everybody sat down, and they preached the Bible, and I was absolutely disengaged. Not because... Not because even I wanted to, I was trying to. I didn't understand at the time, but, but I, was, I was deeply wounded. And I was deeply hurt. And I was questioning, you know, here's my, one of my heroes in Christianity, one of the people I looked up to the most who was really going through his own crisis of, of his calling. And I didn't know what to do, and I was just stunned. And that repeated itself week after week, service after service for a number of months. And I finally began to realize what was going on, that, that my, I wasn't experiencing the presence of God. I wasn't participating in worship. At that point, I, yeah, I began to serve and, and try to help the, the church, but, and I even began to interview for other ministry positions, but there was something wrong in my heart. I had never been like that before. When, you, you know, I'd always been in church, and there was a period of when I was, a, you know, a preteen where I didn't like going to church, but I, 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 when God had changed my life at 14 years old, I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like that. I'd always enjoyed church. I always loved coming to church. I mean, at that point, I, I mean, I'd worked at a church. I was at church six days a week. And it was just what I knew I was going to do with the rest of my life. And here I was, absolutely cold to it all. I didn't, I didn't realize I was, I was there, but once I did, then I was in a place where God could do something in my life. Today in this message... I really want to talk to those of you who have already made the decision to follow Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're trying to find out about Jesus and you're investigating Jesus and you're wondering if he really can change your life, if, if he really can help you, I want you to know that you can know him. You can follow him. You can have your life changed by him. And, and the rest of your life could be changed today. The rest of your life can be changed when you make the decision to give your life to Jesus and to follow Jesus. But today I'm going to really begin to talk about people who've already experienced that. They've already made a decision to follow Jesus. And the reason that I want to talk to those of you who, who at one point in your life made a decision to follow Jesus is because very slowly, even without us knowing it, Following Jesus can transform itself into a religious chore. And you show up at church because you have to. You show up at church maybe because sometimes you, 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 know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to look bad quitting. You show up at church because you're trying to still keep, make, make God happy. You're serving just because you know it's the good thing to do. But following Jesus and living a life 
following Jesus, living a life for Jesus is not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be a chore. It's not supposed to be boring. It's not supposed to be something that we, that we are forced to do. And it's not supposed to be something that's devoid of emotion, devoid of passion. It's not supposed to be something that, um, that you only think about for an hour on a Sunday morning. It is supposed to be something that drives us, that excites us, that motivates us, that moves us, that stirs us to the deepest depths of our heart. When we, if you can remember back, remember back to that moment when you found out that Jesus was real. Remember back to that moment when you experienced his love in your life for the very first time. That moment in my life was amazing. It was amazing. There was, unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced since, I've never experienced anything better than those moments when I've been with Jesus. No, uh, no career achievement's been better than that. No sinful experience has been better than that. You, you know, uh, having a, a wife and kids and we, we all love each other, that's not been greater than the moment where, where I know and I'm in the presence of Jesus. For some of us, it was a moment. It was just bam. Just like for me, like this one moment changed everything. For some of us, others of us, it's like months have gone by and you've been coming to church, you've been finding out about Jesus. And, and for some people, they, they realize they're following Jesus months after that, months after really they started following Jesus. They just don't, they just eventually gradually believed and were following him and, and loved him and having their hearts transformed by him. And then they figured it out later, like, hey, I, I think I'm a Christian now. I think I believe now. And that's not uncommon. That happens to so many people. And we're in a place, so many of us have been in that place before, where we have a soft heart for God, a softness when we're in his presence, a softness when we're worshiping him. Seems like it's easy for him to speak to us and guide us. We have an excitement for church. We believe that he's going to do something in our lives, and we believe that he's going to use us to do something in other people's lives. And then we have a very pure, innocent desire for other people to know Jesus just like that. And many of us were in that place before, but maybe you even begin to recognize right now, that was a long time ago. I'm not in that place now. Slowly, things change. Slowly that softness and slowly that desire and excitement for church and the desire to, to, to worship Jesus and to be close to him, it, it's just transformed into cynicism, transformed into boredom, it's transformed into apathy. And maybe even this morning you're here and you don't even know why you still come. That's not what Jesus wants for you. That is not the abundant, overflowing life that Jesus talked about. That, he's, that he said is the reason he's come. 
Why does, why does that happen? How did we get to this place? And it could be for, it could be for a, a few different reasons, but one, yeah, let me just tell you three kind of quick ones. One is um, it's because of sin. And sin, when we're following Jesus and we make a decision to do something that Jesus has, is encouraging us not to do, Listen, follow me, and if following me, you're gonna, we're gonna, for, you're gonna give up these other things because I have. If following me is where you find life, following me is where you find abundant life. Not in these other things. So you're gonna give up these other things, trusting and pursuing me, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, even greater things. But we don't trust him with that. We don't really believe him in that. Or maybe we know what he has is better, but still just. Every week, we're kind of just still guilty doing the same things, following the same patterns, and just eventually, you keep doing that, and your heart grows cold, because eventually, what, you're, what you've said by your actions is, hey, Jesus, you're not good enough, and I'm going to try to make my life a blend between these two things, the things you say are, 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 that don't honor you, and, and then I'm going to try to, at the same time, honor you, and it just doesn't work. So because you keep following those same patterns and participating in those same sins, and eventually you get to the point where you don't even repent anymore because you're like, well, I don't want to keep telling God I'm going to stop because I know I'm not going to. And your heart grows cold and your relationship with God grows distant. Sometimes it's not a sin issue, but it's a neglect issue, and you've neglected your relationship with him. One of the ladies that attends our, our Londonderry, um, that's a part of our Londonderry launch team, she said, as part of her testimony, she said, I stopped going to church one Sunday, and that lasted 19 years. And all of a sudden, I realized 19 years have gone by, and I haven't been going to church. And that happens to so many of us. We just neglect it. We're like, oh, I just, I just, I'm just so tired. I worked overnight shift. I gotta, you know, I just gotta sleep. I, I've just been so busy. You know, we just need Sunday mornings to ourselves. You, you know, even in your week to week, maybe you're showing up on service, but you're you're disengaged from serving. Um, you're just you're showing up to religious services, and that's all it's become for you. But th- during the week, you don't ever think about Jesus outside of of these moments. You neglect that. You, if you neglect any relationship, what happens? You get to the place where it feels like you don't even know each other. Maybe you've experienced that in a marriage relationship or in a relationship with a parent or in a relationship with the children or a relationship with your friend. Just, just time apart. God's never the one who moves. Jesus is never the one who moves, but we just neglect that relationship. And some people get to the place where they don't even, even believe that they, they ever met him or made a decision to follow him. They're like, you know, just imagine like your best friend and you went to talk to him and they didn't recognize you. They're like, who are you? We were best friends through middle school, high school. You were in my wedding. Like, like I don't remember you at all. We act that way to Jesus. And then... Sometimes, and this is what happened to me, we're in this place of, 
of distance from God. We're in this place where we're just cold toward God. It's because we've experienced trauma. For me and for my friend, we'd both been fired from a church. We didn't know that could happen. Our, our youth group at that point was growing every single week, and, and our youth group was larger than this service. And it was amazing things happening. We didn't believe, we didn't, uh, we didn't understand, we couldn't believe it. It was shocked at how we were treated. And it was just the trauma of that. Really, I never questioned my faith in that, but man, I wasn't living my faith during, during those months. And that happens to us. Whether it's a, a, a death of someone we love, whether it's a job, whether it's a financial struggle, and because of the stress of our life, we're just kind of, we're just kind of zombies. There's no emotion, just in anything. Maybe you're in a season of depression, and it's that same thing. It's just numb. And these three things, I think, are so common and so quickly take us from what Jesus has for us. Why don't you open your Bibles or your Bible app to Psalm 51. I want to read to you a song that was written by a man named King David. David was the king of Israel from about 1010 B.C. to 970 B.C. He was an amazing man who accomplished amazing things for God, but he wasn't a perfect man. And he wrote this song after he had realized that he had moved away from God. He wrote this song after he realized what he had done and how he was living his life. For him, he had sinned, and he had sinned deeply. He had committed adultery. He had committed murder as king. And now here he was, and he had lived that way and, and didn't recognize it, tried to cover it up, and, and I think truly believed in his heart that he had settled it. And then he was confronted on his sin, and he finally broke, and he realized what he had done to God. And he wrote this psalm. We're going to start reading at verse number 7. And King David writes, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I want to key in on verse number 12 there because I hope that this verse will be your prayer right now. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
If you've been following Jesus, you, you remember that moment, you remember what it was like, and you can look at who you were and how you, how you used to enjoy the presence of God and serving and following God, and you can, you can just look at your life right now and you think, I am not there. And may your prayer right now be that. If, if you're going to experience this, if your relationship with Jesus is going to return back to what it was, if it's going to be restored, there's a couple things that you've got to do from the outset. And the first is you need to evaluate. You need to evaluate your life and evaluate your heart uh, and ask this question of yourself. And are you far from God? Are you far from Jesus? Many times we don't even know how far we've gone. Because it's so slow and it happens over sometimes months or years, we don't even realize the condition of our heart and the condition that we're in. And those, that December 1st, 2002, as I sat in one of our church services, I had no idea where I was and how far I was. And this is what's going on with King David before he's written the psalm. He's committed adultery, so he slept with another man's wife. He slept with the wife of one of his friends and one of his uh, army generals. While the guy's name was Uriah, while Uriah was away fighting and, and, and defending his country, David initiated an inappropriate relationship. The lady's name was Bathsheba. She became pregnant, and now David realizes, like, I'm, I'm going to be caught here. And he arranges this thing to try to um, uh, have a, like a conjugal visit between Uriah and Bathsheba. He calls Uriah back from war, then you know that he'd be happy to see his wife, and, uh, and so then the pregnancy can, Uriah will think it's his own child. Uriah wouldn't go to his house because he said, if my soldiers are at war, you know, I can't, I, I, I can't sleep at my house. And so David sends the order, puts Uriah on the front line, and Uriah was killed in battle. David committed murder. Here he is now, after some months pass, pass, he invites Bathsheba to be his wife, and then she delivers birth, and then David is looked as an honorable man. Oh, here he is, taking this lady who's a widow, taking this lady who's going to be a single mom and marrying her. How noble, how honorable. And people are celebrating him and patting him on the back, but he's a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer, and he just, he just, he just probably pats himself on the back and, and lives and acts like everything's taken care of. He'll never be found out. It's just between him and Bathsheba. Sometimes, sometimes we are, we are just absolutely living in sin but we've convinced ourselves that it's not wrong. The relationship 
the flirting. And we just like, yeah, I just don't believe that that's true. I don't, you know, the Bible, I know it says that, but I just don't believe that that part's true. Yeah, the Bible's not really clear about this, so, you know, so I don't feel any conviction about it. And we convince ourselves that everything's right with God. And we have to be careful, and we have to evaluate ourselves. Am I, am I really where you are? And David, in, in another part of the Bible, in Psalm 139, he wrote this. And, and this was the scripture that, that stopped me um, from continuing down the path I was on, just in that coldness of God. And I read this verse one day at my house, and it was, Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting life. And I read this and it was probably about February, so a few months, three months of just sitting in service and just feeling dead in my soul and and even not even recognizing that I was there. I read this verse, and all of a sudden, there was, there was life again. And I read that, and then I prayed that, God, search me. Is there an offensive way in me, God? Is there sin in me, God? God, is there brokenness in me? Search me. Know my thoughts. Know where I am. And that prayer turned to tears and for the first time in, in at least months, I felt the love of God again. And I was on the path of restoration. And the joy of my salvation had begun to return. Sometimes, though, it takes more than just evaluating. We need to listen. And sometimes... Evaluating turns to listening, and sometimes listening will turn to evaluating. But you've got to listen. Are there people speaking into your life that are, you know, other Christians, other believers, parents, pastors who are telling you, listen, you're beginning to go away that's, that's, that's away from God. You're beginning to put distance between himself and yours. You're beginning to make decisions that are, that are not honoring to God and that are not part of his plan for your life. And sometimes we just like tune people out like, oh man, that person, like they don't know me. They don't get that situation. They don't understand. You need to listen because for one thing, God is always calling you back to himself. He's always trying to draw you back to him. He always wants to restore your joy. He always wants to give you the abundant, overflowing life. He's always calling you back to him. And so sometimes you need to listen because you're beginning to be angry at God for some things, but God's beginning to say, hey, stop walking that way. Come back to me. Come over here and I'll help you. And, and, and you got to listen to him. Sometimes God uses other people, and that's what happened with King David. 
We read in 2 Samuel that there was a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan came before the king, really putting his life on the line because David's murdered once before. It'd be fine for him to murder again. Nathan knows what David did. Maybe because he witnessed Bathsheba coming in and out of, 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 of the palace late at night, and so he saw it and he knew what was going on, but maybe God just spoke it to him. Because God loved David enough that he would, he would reveal David's sin to Nathan so that Nathan could go and speak to him about it. So the prophet goes before the king, and it's the two of them, and he lays out this, this scenario that, you know, that David thinks, King David thinks is real, and he said, hey, there's, there's a guy who's got some sheep at the, you know, and there's this poor guy who only has a couple sheep, but the rich guy is going to the poor guy and taking his sheep. What should we do about it? And David's like, uh, we, you, you need to let me know. David's furious, like, we need to execute this guy, stealing from poor people? But that's not what our kingdom is about. And then Nathan, a prophetic, prophetic voice, says, this is what you've done to Uriah. You have the entire kingdom. You can have anything you want, but you took his wife, you took his life. And David, in that moment, could have killed him and said, you know, I am covering this up, but no, his heart was broken in that moment. And he's been confronted and convicted, and he's broken. And he realizes that he sinned against God. And his response was to write Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. God will use other people to speak into your life. You need to listen to them. And stop ending relationships with anybody who, who, who's confronting you about the relationships you've been starting or the way you've been living or, or the places you've been going and begin to recognize that God is trying to use these people to keep you close to him. He will use his Holy Spirit to convict you. He will use his Holy Spirit to confront you. And then he will also use scripture in the Bible. We'll begin to read things in the Bible that we don't like or that confront us about the way we're living, and we have the choice to just close our Bible and pack it away and say, well, I don't believe that. But our, our goal as people who have given our lives to Jesus, he said, you are my Lord, you are my master, you are my Savior, I'm going to follow you. Our joy is, our, our prayer is, search me, O oh God, see if there's any offensive way in me, because I don't want anything in me keeping me from you. Search me, God. Show it to me. Reveal it to me. Because I can be deceived. I can be tricked. I can be manipulated. I can be distracted. Search me, God. I don't want to lose this. I don't want to stop following you. I don't want to lose the joy that comes from knowing you and following you. We evaluate. We listen. And we do this carefully. We don't ever think that we've arrived and as a pastor, I can't ever think that, that I'm a note or I'm that perfect or I'll never fall or you know, I can't be one of those pastors who, who has an affair. I won't be one of those pastors who steals money or I won't be one of those pastors who quits. Or I can't ever believe that about myself. And you can't ever believe about yourself that you are too, too much of a spiritual giant that you could never sin or even too much of a giant that you couldn't be in sin right now. 
we evaluate and we listen because we can't return to Jesus. We can't return to the joy of his salvation if we don't know that we've ever left. We can't return if we don't know that we've left. So our prayer is, am I where you want me to be, Jesus? And when we evaluate and we listen, we realize where we are. And I'm just going through the motions. I, I don't even care. I haven't, I haven't touched my Bible in so long. I, I don't even sing and worship anymore. And Instead of trying to blame it on other people or blame it on the church or blame it on these circumstances or blame it on God, you realize the only person that's, that can be at fault is you. God hasn't walked away. You have. And so then we just, we just ask him. We ask him like David did. Restore that joy to me, Jesus. Many times we don't ask him to restore that joy because we're punishing ourselves. We don't want Jesus to do anything good for us because we don't believe that we deserve it. God is angry. I've committed uh, such terrible things. I need to run from God. I need to hide from God. I need to separate myself from God because I am a terrible person. But Nathan said to King David, when David broke at his sin, Nathan said, God has already forgiven you. One thing that we know that is 100% true is that Jesus is waiting for you to ask him. He's waiting for you to pray that prayer. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. The Lord, Jesus, he has to wait for you because he wants to show you his kindness for you, his love for you, his compassion for you. He'll let you wander. He'll let you experience life without him. But he won't come back. He'll be there waiting. And when you ask him, he'll show you his love and his compassion. You can assume the worst or you can let him show you his best. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation. This week, uh, I don't remember what night it was. One day this week, um, Michelle was gone for the night, and my two little boys had t-ball, and, um, and so I had to bring them to the t-ball game. And, you know, it's just always a frantic nightmare that you're going to end up at the baseball field and people don't have baseball gloves or their uniforms or you don't have all your children. Like, it's always frightening. So I always want to be prepared. Everything, you know, we get everything an hour ahead of time. It's there. Don't touch it. Uh, at the last minute, we're going to grab everything. So everybody's ready. So it is finally time we're going to leave. 
And then, uh, and then the four-year-old, I mean, he has just done this disaster. It is bad news. It's going to take a while to clean up. It's hideous. It's disgusting. And he wasn't doing it because he was trying to be bad. He was doing it because he was four. And, and I walk into the room, and I was just like, I was just speechless. I mean, I wasn't speechless, but I was like, what did you do? And he looks up at me, like, and he just has an answer. And I'm, I just, like, every muscle in my face is flexing. I'm, like, clenching my teeth. There's, like, dust. I'm obviously exaggerating, but there's the dust of shattered teeth appearing. Like, I'm just, like, and I'm, I'm talking very stern. I mean, I'm not yelling, but I am not nice. You cannot do this. I can't even believe this. And, and, and as I just am cleaning it up, and it's just the same thing, like, how did this happen? And just, like, knowing, like, we, we, we needed to leave five minutes ago now. We're going to show up to the field late, and I'm just, like, every vein in my head popping out. And, and so he looks up at me, and he goes, do you still love me? And I'm like, I look at him like, yeah, I still love you. I still love you. And he goes, you still love me? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm always going to love you. I'm always going to love you. And we think that God, because he's convicting us, we think that God, because, because he has better for us, that he's this exasperated father with veins popping out of his neck and a clenched jaw and just, just so disappointed and disgusted with us that he's going to clean up our mess. And we think, like, God could never, ever love me again. I'm so filthy. I'm so disgusting. And if we could just verbalize to him like my four-year-old was able to verbalize me. And this morning you could pray a prayer, God, you still love me. God, do you still love me? And he will show you his love and his compassion. And your joy will come back. And your joy will be restored. And your relationship will be one you've always wanted and the one you never should have left. David, after he wrote this psalm, he wrote Psalm 32, and the psalms aren't in order of uh, a chronological order, but he wrote this psalm after, and he said this, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. 
finally, I confessed my sin to you. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Do you want the joy of your the joy of his salvation restored? Close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Jesus, you are kind and gracious and compassionate and loving. And we confess right now that we are not close to you. It's just stress of life, or maybe we have deep sin in our life. Or maybe we, you know, we've just, we've just neglected our relationship with you, and this has turned into a religion. We ask right now in Jesus' name for you to move in every heart, for you to pour out your love on every life, for you to move with deep compassion. And I pray every heart and every life will be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. As you keep your eyes closed, we're going to... Um, we're going to sing together just a minute. I mean, you don't have to sing. But you talk to Jesus. You evaluate, you listen, you ask. And let him do in your life what only he can do.